Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post-Atomic Horror, the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast ever produced, with your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 375, covering Choose Your Pain, with Gav Drury. Hi, friends. For the first time in the his long, long history of this show, uh, we, we have Gav on, but Gav is not with him, so, huh. so that's pretty exciting. Yes, by well, myself. I'm surprised English it took Gav. this long to do that. Yeah, he asked us some time ago, and then we forgot because we're jerks, and uh-huh. so apologies, English yeah, Gav. Welcome it's, aboard, it's Gav. It's nice to have yes. you. It's nice to be here. The episode that you have chosen is is the excitingly titled, uh, I assume titled by the same 13-year-old edgelord who came up with Black Alert, uh, <laughs> Choose Your Pain. So, Gav, why don't you tell us what happens in the episode? All right. Uh, just a second, though. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to uh, breach protocol there. Yeah. No worries. Right. Whilst the Galactic Empire is continuing its reign of torture on innocent giant tardigrades, our hero Michael is starting to have a crisis of conscience about the Imperial forces she's working for. The Dark Side orders a system-wide manhunt for more innocent giant tardigrades to torture. This is Star Wars, right? <laughs> Captain Lorca of the Imperial ship Discovery, sorry, Starfleet ship Discovery, sets off on a little space jaunt to nowhere for no reason, along with random guy about to be killed and gets captured by the Rebel Alliance. Sorry, Klingons. <laughs> the now-Captain Saru, whose threat ganglia are still malfunctioning when Michael enters the room, declares that he cares not for the innocent giant tardigrade and will continue to torture it while searching for the missing marker. Wondering if he's been a good captain, he asks the computer for some tips and is advised to kill Michael. <laughs> Obviously, he decides against this, not because killing is wrong, but because Michael is sensed as a threat by his malfunctioning threat ganglia, and he will probably lose any battle. Pretty sure I got that right. <laughs> Captain Mork awakens in a Klingon prison with a very chipper Harry Mudd, who's clearly enjoying prison life. This could partially be due to him selecting his roommate to receive the daily torture in a game show that Klingons like to call Choose Your Pain, where no choice of pain is chosen. It was originally called Choose Your Victim, but the Klingon FCC disallowed this due to the implication that the recipients weren't enjoying the torture. <laughs> Michael, now having recruited the Doctor and the Engineer from the Dark Side, begin to work on finding an alternate power source for the spore drive, but it really needs a compatible species, one that's descended from space mushrooms. And guess who's descended from space mushrooms? That's right, humans. <laughs> Back in prison, a fourth prisoner, Lieutenant Ash, offers Mordo some food, and he's been there for seven months, but Captain Lark doesn't believe anyone can survive seven months of Klingon torture. It's probably something like watching Enterprise on repeat, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Harry then uses his remote control pet to steal the food, as he reveals that one day he just said, that's it, they've ruined it, they've ruined my life, I only get one, and they've ruined it. So now he's got this vendetta against the evil Starfleet that doesn't care about people, which I believe is the new Prime Directive. Soon it's Captain Mook's turn to be tortured. The infamous Klingon torture regime has been home to devious and innovative torture devices such as shining a torch in your eyes, as the Klingons attempt to get information on Discovery's new tech. Back on the ship, Captain Squid orders the torture of the innocent Adigrade again, which proves to be one torture too much, and it enters defensive, dehydrated hibernation mode. 
Captain Slime orders a glass of water for the torture to commence again, but the Doctor refuses. Damast, however, acknowledges the request. Time for another round of Choose Your Pain. But this time, Captain Minko pretends to be the Doctor. That's the Doctor, not the Doctor. And escapes with Lieutenant Ash, leaving Harry behind to never be seen again. <laughs> they escape back to Discovery, which is Hamley, just around the corner now. There's corners in space, right? Don't look it up, I can science. <laughs> then they spore jump away, only to reveal that Stan has put himself in place of the giant tardigrade in the spore engine at the cost of his own health. Ex-Captain Slenderman eventually submits to the force and recognises the giant tardigrade as a sentient being and orders his rehabilitation. How very fucking noble of you. <laughs> Michael recognises there are only three choices left. One, let the tardigrade continue in unendurable agony for a hundred more years. Two, kill everyone on the ship. Three, murder a beautiful innocent creature as painlessly as she can and then find a new name because she won't be the doctor anymore. Wait, I've got my shells mixed up again, haven't I? Anyway, she decides to release the creature into space to float aimlessly for God knows how long till it gets caught in a gravity well. Well, enough with the sad ending. The end. Additional. The tardigrade is actually fine now. Teleporting around space. I own space. <laughs> that, is, that is a great way to spend a life. Also, I love that Lorca somehow turned into Mork eventually. <laughs> very, very good. Uh Ah, uh, now we have this this other uh, this new feature uh, that we're trying because you know there's only one episode uh, per show now, and and Matt and I need something to do, and Matt really really went above and beyond here uh, with his second thoughts. So Matt, why don't you take it? Boy, this episode sure didn't have as much Klingons as it as we've been uh, accustomed to on Discovery. I mean, sure they were torturing Lorca and Lieutenant Ash Tyler and Harry Mudd, but they weren't grunting at each other about honor and Takuvma and which Starfleet captains they should eat next. And here on the post atomic horror, we just can't have that. So I present to you an in-depth, by which I mean not at all in-depth, guide to the twenty-four houses of the Klingon Empire. <clears throat> Number one. House of Kor. Descended from the Klingon Imperial family, this house is known for well-known Star Trek jerks like Cole, Kor, and Cock, a penis-shaped Klingon known for easy jokes. <laughs> 2. House of Degore, A merchant family known for yelling and having a leader named Dennis. Dennis the Klingon. <laughs> 3. House of Mokai. I think these guys turned out to be zombies or something. 4. House of Konja. The party house of the Klingon Empire currently on double secret proba probation. Five, the house of hilarious Frankenstein, known for being the only Klingon house to feature a Dracula, a Frankenstein, a Wolfman, and a Costello. The Abbot tragically died during the battle of the binary stars when a combination washer dryer fell on him. Six, house of Karath, like the house of Kor, but with more wrath. Look, I had to write 24 of these. They can't all be fucking winners. Seven, house of Grilka, Formerly the House of Kozak, until a hilarious misunderstanding feature, featuring a Ferengi bar owner. This great house is also known as the only Klingon family to sell its own t-shirts, making it the richest in the Empire. Eight. House of Duras. These guys suck. They always sucked. They always will suck. They're just the worst. Nine. House of Trades, Known for walking without rhythm so as not to attract the worm. Ten. House of Martok. The opposite of House Duras. These guys rock. Known for taking on losers from other shittier houses like 11, the House of Moog. 
Known for its terrible fathers and um, embarrassing sons, the House of Moog has never produced a single notable Klingon at all. Ever. Suck it, Worf. <laughs> 12. House of Antak. Heroes of the Battle of Yateb Hub. This noble house is known for its great warriors and noble chefs, many of which have been known to grace the t-shirts of famous podcast hosts. <laughs> 13. House of Nogra. The smallest house in the Klingon Empire, House Nogra consists of its head, Nogra, and his adopted son, Rodek, who both live on a small raft, which they take turns paddling around a medium-sized lake. <laughs> 14. House of Armas. Hated by all. Oh, uh, excuse me, Al. Hated by Al. Ooh. <laughs> 15. The House of Gowron. Although its most famous member, former Chancellor Richard Gowron, was known for his giant scary eyes, the other members of House of Gowron were also known for freakishly large body parts, including nostrils, forearms, backup spines, and, of course, genitals. Massive cock Johnson Gowron, for example, had a, had a gigantic fucking penis. 16. House of Kodos. Kodos was a human. 17. House of Kruge. This house invented time travel, drove a taxi, and uh, eh, one other Christopher Lloyd joke. 18. House of Carl. Yeah, I hate air fry, man. 19. House of Kolcha. A house famous for its Klingon doctors and lawyers, all of whom's parents are very proud of them. 20. House of 20. The 20th Klingon house on this list. Known for being four houses away from the end of the list. 21. House of Kurok. The first Klingon house to ever add blood to anything. An inventor of Klingon Pepsi, the choice of the Klingon generation. 22. House of Clothos. Just a big fucking sheep. Nobody knows how he got in here. 23. House of Korax. This noble house won the lottery and one of its aunts married a foreign prince. Then the head of the house tragically died of a heart attack at his, at his daughter's wedding. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the last season of Roseanne. And, of course, 24, Run's House. Oh, my God. That was incredible, Matt. Very, very well Thank done. <laughs> All of that is, of course, completely canon. And uh, <laughs> any, any official sources you read that contradict this are wrong because uh, we are the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast ever produced. And we say it is so, so it is so. Yeah, you guys should all put this on a memory alpha where it will live forever. Yeah. Yes. Of course. I, I believe everything in that. As well you should. Well, you, as uh, for, for listeners who may not be completely familiar uh, uh, with, with your appearances on the show, are not terribly familiar with Star Trek. Is that fair to say? It's pretty fair. It's like I watch it, but I take nothing in. That's. I mean, isn't that true of most things you watch, though? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going by your own accounts. I'm not. I certainly wasn't trying to be insulting there. This is this is what you've told us on a few occasions. You may not remember yeah. that. But. Yeah, I just don't remember details. Yeah, they're general no, they're not things, important. and they're not important. Yeah, I especially enjoy when it. You're, then it's especially done. when you're trying to analyze something, you don't need to know about it. That's, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> no, that's what you got us for. Matt is obviously an expert in uh, Klingon houses, and clearly, um, I know something. I think. I think I learned something once. I don't remember. Uh, so this one had a lot going on. Yeah, it was a very There's, busy episode. It is. I mean, we get Harry Mud for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> launch right into my good thing. Yeah. Um, so casting Rain Wilson as Harry Mud seemed like such a terrible, stupid idea to me when it was first announced. But um, he's really great in this, and also later on down the line when he spoiler alert comes back. Mm -hmm. Like, he's charming, and he's charismatic, and he's also a complete fucking scumbag, just like classic Mud. 
Like, yeah, for those of you who don't know, and actually uh, Gav did not know this, uh, Mud was a, a recurring character on the original series, the only actual recurring um, antagonist in the original series. Mm-hmm. And he was the most over-the-top, ridiculous, sort of foppish gentleman, uh, Harcourt Fenton Mud, this sort of person. And uh, I did not Isn't know he how the they fri- were going Is he the friend Kurt guy, or is that Cyrano Jones? I, I don't forget. remember. I don't remember if friend... I think that's Cyrano Jones. Captain Who was Kirk. supposed to be Harry Mud. the friend Kirk! Yeah. That guy was supposed to be Harry Mud, and they I think they couldn't get uh, Roger C. Carmel, so they created mm. a duplicate, basically. Here, there's but, this guy who's just like him. Yeah. I did not know how they were going to stay true to the essence of that character and also make him fit into this much darker mm-hmm. show, but they managed to do it. Yeah. And he's great. And yeah, as like you say, Dwight from The Office did not seem like the best choice for that. No. Apparently you need to be a very good actor to be Dwight from The Office. I didn't know that, but it's true. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, yeah, I weren't aware he was an existing character, but yeah, from this I enjoyed his character, I thought it was great. Yeah. Some guy trapped him in prison, and he had a very good uh, character to him. It was, it, it was still very fun making uh, stories and lighter, had a banter, like he was enjoying it. But also, and, they, and I still couldn't get away from the Dwight shoot angle on it. it just, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, it is I mean, just how we imagine how we would be in a prison anyway. <laughs> he, he did play the character for 10 years, sometimes you're yeah. just stuck with that forever. And- what I love is the, the, the Klingon idea of choose your pain mm-hmm. would absolutely be torture for Starfleet guys, for noble Starfleet guys, none of whom want anything bad to happen to their comrades. But yeah. Harry Mudd's such a piece of shit that it doesn't work. Yeah. He just always points to the other guy and their whole system breaks yeah. because he's just like, I choose him. Who will you torture? This guy. This guy again. Anyone but me. Yeah. I love it because me and my I, spider will be fine. Uh huh. What was the spider's name? Stuart. Stuart. Yeah, Stuart the spider. Uh huh. So, no, I I really enjoyed that, and I love um, he's sort of lighthearted, but also a bastard, and there's, there's a lot going on there. I enjoy. That's that. the thing. I like the idea of the comic relief, who is also dangerous, and we'll get more of that later. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's funny, but like, you know, don't underestimate him. Well, the last thing he says, and I think Gav mentioned this in his summary, is uh, you'll not see the last of Harry Mudd. And mm. I, at first I thought, I, okay, whatever, but no. Never going to see that guy again. Yeah. No, I, no, I literally said the exact opposite. He, he, what's that? <laughs> I literally said the exact opposite. We'll oh, never yeah. see him again. <laughs> I, I, that would be my assumption, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently the actors signed up for up to nine appearances. I don't think that's they're going to bring him back that much, but I think they wanted to just prepare for that. So That's, yeah. That um, might be too many, but uh, I am yeah. looking forward to seeing him again. Honestly, his w- without spoiling specifically what happens, his arc, so to speak, his 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 mini story in the season is perfect, and they could just not bring him back, and that mm-hmm. would be fine. But uh, no, I really yeah, enjoy. I think I'd be happy with that, but mm. I also wouldn't mind seeing him again. It's... No, I just, mostly I just want them to build their own stable mm. of recurring characters that aren't from other things, you know, I... like. I will say this, and I've been saying this since we saw him the first time around. I would like to see him in a caper with Cyrano Jones. Oh, of course. And and I've said this since the idea of rebooting Harry Mudd came up uh, via the, the movies. I He should have been Paul F. Tompkins. Like, yes. Rain Wilson is great, but Paul F. Tompkins would have been my first choice. And I will die, you know, I will go to my grave saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
My bad thing actually kind of relates to this uh, uh, sort of fan servicey bringing things up from other series things. Um, I mean, you knew I was going to say this. Uh, when Saru brings up a, 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 a database of the most decorated Starfleet captains, mm-hmm. Jonathan fucking Archer pops up. And, ugh. Yeah. But, okay, beyond that, like... We're five weeks into this show now, and uh, the Enterprise is behind us, and I don't really think about it much anymore. It's not that big of a deal. Seriously, though, every name on the list is someone we know from a previous track episode. It's like Matt Decker from the Doomsday Machine yep. and Philippa Rob- Giorgio from Robert earlier April's in this series there. and Robert April, who I think was only mentioned in name. He was in the animated series, yep. but canonically, he was only mentioned by name. But all of them were names we'd heard before and, and Christopher Pike. Yeah. And it's like, this just makes the universe feel so small. Like, mm-hmm. Starfleet, from the time of Enterprise, has been around for a hundred years, and the best captains are the five or six that we've heard of before? Yeah. That's, that's lame. Like, they should have thrown in some names, and some non-human names, maybe? Like, every good Starfleet captain is a human? Yeah. That's kind of shitty. And also, other than Giorgio, they're all white dudes. Also that. Like, and I, I understand it's fan service, and I've said it before, and I'll say it forever. I love fan service. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan, and I like some service. But also, again, it makes the universe feel small when you run into Harry Mudd all the time, who we've already seen, and all the established captains are guys we've seen before. You know, like, build the world a little. They forgot the first rule of Rick Berman. Be disgusting. I mean, uh, to a human things and an alien thing. Right. Yeah, no, that is that is the first rule of Rick Berman. You're talking about the second rule of Rick Berman. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, Mud was great, and the whole thing with Saru, which is actually my good thing, is mm-hmm. great. Um, his whole thing is like, oh, Lorca's gone. I'm in charge now. Oh boy. Uh, computer, start a file called my great career as a captain. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, he pulls up this list, and he's trying so hard to figure out what the common, like, the common traits of all these captains are and how he can be good. And the first time through, I didn't love Saru. This time through, for some reason, he's clicking with me. Like, so many of his bad decisions that sort of drive the plot in this episode are him trying real hard to prove that he's ready. And mm. it's very true to the character, and it also moves the story along, and I think it works really well. Well, the thing is, now we know sort of the destination of that character arc. When we were watching it, like, week to week, like, of course you're going to not like this guy. He's mad all the time at, at Michael, and he keeps screwing up. When yeah, you and see his, the, main, his main character trait is that he's always scared, and yeah. that's that's really boring. When you get to watch <laughs> him, you know, spoiler alert, when you get to watch him evolve from this, this terrified, like third in command on the Shenju to like where he ends up at the end of season season one like well, he it's gives, a really great story or a character arc he gives Michael the speech near the end where he's like I you know I I resent you like first you started a war and you started the events that led to the death of Giorgio and you weaseled out of getting punished for it somehow yeah but beyond that you also completely ruined my career because mm-hmm. You were supposed to go off to college, and then I would have been mom's favorite. <laughs> and that never happened, and I hate you for that. And that's great. I love it's that. A, it, it's so good. Just I, I love that, like, no, I was going to learn so much from her. Yeah. And that's gone now. I don't get that chance. 
Yeah, and it's all because of you. And yeah. it's it's a really good character thing. Like I say, I, I appreciate him so much more now. No, he's fantastic, and I really like him. Yeah, and and throughout the episode, we're all pointing out all the times, and Gav pointed this out in his summary <laughs> as well, all the times he just wanted to, like, push Michael out the airlock or just, you know, <laughs> all his problems would be gone if he just got rid of her. As I, th- I think my, one of my favorite bits of his in the episode was uh, where he was talking to the doctor and the engineer, Stamets and mm-hmm. Paul. Mm-hmm. Is it Paul? Uh, Culpers, Paul Culper. No, no, no. Culper? Paul is Stamets. Paul Stamets. Paul uh, Stamets. Culper's uh, name is Hugh. Uh, Hugh. Hugh. Yeah. Doctor Hugh. Yes, yes. Doctor Hugh. That should be easy to remember. Yeah, when he was talking to them, and uh, they they were sort of like campaigning for not the torture of the tardigrade, but he mm-hmm. was uh, giving them a direct order: you, you will go out, you will get this engine working, and the way. And the mm-hmm. says, "No, I'm not doing. It. We're talking yep. to you." Yeah, this has been It's a typical thing, but uh, I think he delivered that really well. Mm. Yeah. No, there's there's a lot like in in the relationship between Saru and Michael. We've seen it a lot. There's a lot of Kirk and or uh, Spock and Bones there. Rather, there's a lot of things we've seen before, but these two actors bring new things to it so that it feels fresh and interesting. I think. Mm. So I like that a lot. But uh, speaking of Stamets, Gav, this is your good thing, right? Uh, yeah, we could either go on to the bad or the good. They're both related. Hit them both. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my bad thing. Uh, sorry, I'll go with the good thing first. Yeah, yeah, Paul Stamets. I think he was fantastic in this, uh, especially one scene with his uh, no <coughs> nonsense logical approach to thing. He's having an argument with Michael about the tardigrade, and mm-hmm. he's he's just refusing to argue and just. And he's pointing out towards finding a solution. Because, look, yes, we know there's wrong, there's been mistakes. Let's not argue. Let's find a solution to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then with his sacrifice at the end, and that, I think he's just played a brilliant role in this episode. No, and again, that's that's another mm-hmm. sort of Star Trek cliche of someone mm-hmm. like uh, t- sacrificing themselves and being fine because that always happens because yeah. TV. Mm-hmm. But going against everyone's wishes and risking your life because the ends justify the means but they they made it work for this it made they like i don't know it felt kind of new even though we've seen it a hundred times yeah also we probably really wanted to try it anyway oh he oh, definitely yeah. wanted to try it <laughs> no the laugh he starts laughing <laughs> yeah when like i've wanted to study this stuff all my and he actually says this to to hugh near the end he says like i've wanted to understand this all my life and now it's in me and i get it in a way that i've never been able to get it before and this mm-hmm. is amazing yeah and yeah, I can I get it with him, and we've we've gotten to know him enough in the last couple episodes. I completely understand why it's important to him. Mm-hmm. I love Stam. It's like say what you will about Discovery. This, th- all of the characters are fucking spot on. Yep, and they work with each other well. Like individually, yeah. they're good, but they all complement and and get in each other's way in ways that are interesting to me. Mm-hmm. That's all of the characters that aren't Klingons. Yes, well, yes, yeah. Everyone on the actual Discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck those guys. I mean, that's part of the Klingon problem. When we're with the Klingons, we're not with the Discovery crew, and I know who I'd rather spend time with. I mean, at least in this episode, when they cut to the Klingons, we're with a couple of Starfleet guys. Yeah. Like, at least Lorca and Ash Tyler. We'll talk about him in a minute. <laughs> uh, but first, Gav, your, your bad thing you said was kind of related? Uh, yes, because it was slightly related to Saru, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's... Uh, 
It's his and Starfleet's continued refusal to accept wrongdoing to an animal when it was quite clearly in distress mm-hmm. and okay. ignore it completely just because they're getting something good out of it. It does not represent any sort of enlightened society viewpoint that Starfleet is supposed to be based on. Yeah, no, that it makes is sense not... coming from it makes sense coming yeah. from Lorca, who's kind of a dick. But when he's off the ship, that should all go away. <laughs> yeah. I, I get uh, Saru's like, no, right, this is my first ch- chance at being captain. I cannot take the inco- being inconvenienced by this uh, by this yeah. animal. Look, Lorca's, Lorca's orders were to hurt yeah. this thing, so I'm going to hurt this thing. But but nobody else should be for but, it. But, I mean, like, you know, it's also, like, Saru's whole deal is not getting hurt by things. Like, you'd think right. he'd be a little more uh, compassionate towards it. Yeah. And, and as Gav says, the obvious, like... The thing throws its head back and screams in agony when they <laughs> jab these metal cattle prods into it, which is, what a weird way to react to that, huh? It's like the dude who's out <laughs> fishing and just like, no, nah, fish are great. They don't feel pain. Uh-huh. I don't think you know that. Yeah. yeah it feels very, and, and a lot of people who say this show's not very Star Trek, I understand it when it comes to things like this, because yeah, okay, I get it. But it's going somewhere. Yeah. It's not always going to be like this. Without spoiling specifics, it it will improve. My, my thing with Starfleet, like, knowing about it and wanting more tardigrades, they probably don't know that it's, like, being tortured. Like, they're not on the ship. Well, okay, that's fair. And, and the only one at the beginning who knows it is Michael, and they're yeah. probably not going to read reports from the fucking convicted felon. I would like to believe that once they found out, they would start looking for an alternative. I would like to believe that. I don't know if it's true yeah. or not, but... But we circumvented that by Stamets just injecting the stuff in himself. So yeah, that's all fine. Um, we definitely need to talk about the fact that we've now acknowledged that Stamets and um, uh, Dr. Culper are, I don't know if they're married or just dating, but they live together and yes. they are romantically involved. Yes. Which is great. This is the first on-screen uh, uh, gay relationship in all of Star Trek. It only took them 51 years to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this allegedly progressive uh, uh, franchise finally, and you know about goddamn time. Yeah. That being said, mm-hmm. they don't kiss in this fucking episode. They do not. They will though. They will. But I was when this when I first saw this episode, I was so fucking angry. Just yeah. like just have them fucking kiss, guys. Like it's Honestly, not hard. If if they had maybe, whole... maybe it was a towing class. Like, do we have them kiss or do we say fuck for the first time? Oh, that's true. Yeah, we do. We do have that moment. We can't the both in the same episode. Yeah, I. I mean, at this point, honestly, I think they should have just had a full-on hardcore gay sex scene. I think all of this time, Star Trek, like avoiding the issue, it's just you know what, skip ahead if you don't want to see it. But mm-hmm. uh, fifty-one years of claiming to be progressive and not doing anything, this is the only way to make it right. So yep. uh, here comes the penetration. Get ready. Mm-hmm. But no, they have a they do... penetration comes upon Netflix. <laughs> Paul's going to show you how to do it mushroom style. <laughs> I don't know what that involves, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah, I, th- they do. They do have a sweet moment, though. They do have a nice, quiet, like domestic moment at the end of the mm-hmm. day where they're brushing their teeth together and talking about their day. And it, and it's nice. Like they're a couple and it's good. Um, But again, like, you know, it took too long. Like, yeah. It's it about too damn long time. And but they should kiss. Yeah. You need. But they you will. need to show it, guys. You yeah. can't. You can't. Fuck it. 
Okay. You can't do this J.K. Rowling bullshit where you just talk <laughs> about it afterwards and just, oh, no, trust me. He was gay all the whole time. Uh-huh. You got to show it. You can't do this fucking bullshit. Yeah. Did you well, hear you... about this fucking – they're doing the new uh, – this is a complete tangent. They're doing the new Harry Potter movie, right, that doesn't have uh-huh. Harry Potter in it? Uh-huh. And it's about young Dumbledore hooking up with – it's about young Dumbledore and the dude who in the book they talk about him being in a gay relationship with. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that this movie, those two characters never fucking meet in the entire movie. Yep. They have no scenes together. Fucking just pu- just make them kiss, you fucking cowards. <laughs> no, it's you say it's a tangent and, it, and, you know, it's not Star Trek related, but it's still related to, you know, fandoms and like inclusiveness. And, mm-hmm. you know, it bothers me more in Star Trek because Star Trek has this reputation for, for being progressive. I said that yeah. over and over again, but really. Why did it take so long? Yeah, absolutely. The <laughs> fact that there were no gay characters in TNG is go- is goddamn ridiculous. I realize yeah, they tried that it a couple were different of at the time, but still. I mean, Doctor Who got there way before Star Trek. Yeah. And, you know, which is great. I'm glad they did that. But Doctor Who doesn't have the rep that Star Trek has. Like, Star Trek should have gotten there first. Yeah. So, I, but, you know, all that said, it happened. It's here. I'm not going to complain about that anymore. And they did have a sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And without spoiling specifics, a lot of crap happens in the next several episodes and they don't get time to have these quiet moments. So it's yeah, nice well, just to see one moment mm-hmm. where they're settling in for a night at home. And, yeah. you know, that's like a couple does. And I liked that. Yeah. So, um, Matt, what was your bad thing? So the details of this are going to become weird and sketchy later on in the season. But here's what I know as of this episode. Lieutenant Ash Tyler's rape subplot makes me incredibly uncomfortable, and I don't like it. They spend a lot of the time really dancing around it, and then it get, it'll get real obvious later on, and then other stuff will happen. But right now, it's gross and unpleasant, and I don't want it here. Oh, we've said this over and over again. If we could have no more rape and torture in Star Trek, that would be just fine. There's an awful bit where just uh what the hell's her name Lorel 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 it uh-huh. just says to to Tyler oh after all we've been through you think I'm going to let you go that easily and I just sat here going blah gah. now without spoiling there is a reason for all of this and it's mm-hmm. not as bad as it seems but we're meant to think that it's as bad as it seems for a while yeah and I hate it I hate it yeah. and I don't want it yeah no it's it's no good you guys <sighs> You don't need to put the, the rape in to make it look like a mature show. This is fucking another thing Trek's been doing for a while now to look mature, and you don't need it. Yeah, there is there's there's um there is a moment where when she's torturing Lorca, uh, and he says, so I understand you've got an interest in humans. Uh, you know, we don't even have the right number of genitals, and I think that's a, that's a confirmation or at least a partial confirmation of the theory that Klingons have two penises. I feel like Jadzia would have mentioned that at some point. You would think. That's very in character for her, but uh, all right. Well, for all all we know, Trills have, you know, multiple genitals as well. Fair enough. We don't know. (laughs) She looks human, but she's not human. Mm -hmm. Why would she mention it, though? She'd probably know that she's aware of it. Everybody else is aware of it. Why even mention it? Uh, Because she was very open about sex. I like that we're in an evolved enough culture that we can talk about the fact that that Klingons have two penises, but we don't. Well, you I'm just thinking, two why, what is the need for two penises, then? I mean... Klingons have a lot of backup organs, I guess, in, yeah, case, they do. One gets, in case one gets kicked off in a fight. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, one maybe like it was vestigial, but it just never dropped off. I mean, we we have things like that, right? Yeah. Like the appendix doesn't really do very much. Mm-hmm. Is it the but this still yeah. does have a function. Well, maybe this did. I I don't know. I I'm way out of my depth here. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> depth. But uh, yes, I can't get rid of all this urine quick enough. I need another one. <laughs> I, Listen, that must I've be had it. days like that, especially if I've been out drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're drinking all that blood wine, and uh, you know, or if you want to get you know get rid of all that liquid while also having sex at the same time. Mm-hmm. And also then... think about this: how much writing can you get done in the snow? Oh yeah, you could you could write your name in in like mm-hmm. cursive and print at the same time. Vast Klingon novels have been crafted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tuvan throat singing. On the snows of Ruripenthe. Yeah. I will say, Matt, you, you made two dick jokes in your in your Klingon houses thing, so I don't know if you meant that. But uh, mm. I didn't realize that. at this point. We, yeah. Until I talked to you, the two Klingon dick theory was just that, a theory. I've been, because, this is a minor spoiler. At some point later in the season, we see uh, someone on the Klingon homeworld with their back turned, like, peeing, and we see two streams of urine. And I've been fascinated ever since and dying to talk about it on our damn show where we talk about dumb stuff like that. And now uh-huh. we finally can. So I'm excited. I think maybe like cows, they've got like two digestive systems, if you like. So I believe uh, that completely. Yeah, all yeah. the food and wine goes down one digestive system and all the staff eat claptins go down another one. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Uh-huh. As much as anything, I guess. Now that leads to the real question. Do Klingons have two buttholes? Oh, yeah. And the answer is, maybe? (laughs) I mean, they have a backup (laughs) spine. Uh Uh-huh. And two penises. So, I mean, we can kind of extrapolate from that that they have a lot of extra things. Apparently, we can just... Two of everything? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. There's two of everything in every Klingon. Could be. I don't know. I this definitely we should revisit this later on. But uh, that's gonna ruin wa- rewatching TNG for me from now on. Just I'll just be watching. Just like there's Worf. That guy's got two dicks. Up <laughs> oh, here comes his son. That guy's got two dicks too. I just I I mean not specifically that, but I'm always thinking stuff like that. Like these guys are aliens just because mm-hmm. they look mostly human. There's weird shit happening in there, and I always assume again not specifically two penises, but something. Mm-hmm. You know, I always assume they got something that's not like us because they're aliens. Now, up and down or side to side? Uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, hmm. Someone needs to draw this. Yeah, I reckon there's one each hanging off the hip. Ooh. That's, yeah. That's yeah. very good. Like, uh, like, like, just like a gun at your hip. Only yeah. Both. Makes total sense. I like it. Yep. Uh, what else? Someone said "fuck" in this episode. Oh yeah. Well, that's the that was the big. Uh, and Gav, this is your this is your quote. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. Yes. Oh, I'm okay. so glad. Yeah. Why don't you set this up? <laughs> uh, as a, as, as, well, because we can never not have enough of uh, Tilly. Uh-huh. Of course. He, here she is getting really excited about science. We just need to integrate the same sequence into a compatible species, one that understands its role in this process and engages willingly. You guys, this is so fucking cool. Yeah, they brought her into sort of the inner circle with the whole spore drive tardigrade thing. So she's like, she's Tilly. 
and she sees all this stuff and how else mm-hmm. can you react? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was great. And I get some people didn't like that. And honestly, you know, when Star Trek does things that are a little like more contemporary, less this, more playing more modern music and stuff like that. I don't love it. Like I kind of mm-hmm. like that it's a future setting, but it, this didn't bother me. Like eh, sometimes they're going to say things like people, that. people are always going to be annoyed and they're always going to need to curse. Like <laughs> I would rather she say fuck than when uh, sci-fi shows come up with their own swears. You don't want her saying frack frack or smag. Uh-huh. Just, I mean, those worked on those shows, but I no thanks. Yeah. Fuck's a great word. It's been around a long time. I yeah, don't think it's going anywhere. Probably not. And, um, you know, we've heard Starfleet people say shit already, so I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not much. Picard said it in the first episode of TNG. Well, he said it in French, but yeah. yeah still, that's the word, though. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it got through the practices and standards of, you know, the 80s, so. But only because no one in the <laughs> 80s spoke French. I, yeah, well, that's true. Uh, what else? Let's see. That's about all I had. Let me see here. There's a lot fucking going on in this episode. There is a lot, but I think we've covered most of it. Yeah. Lorel has, when she's speaking English, this is the first time I've ever seen her speak English. They mm-hmm. gave her a Russian accent. Yeah, I was. Uh, Memory Alpha pointed out that she worked with the Klingon language people to, like, uh, figure out what a Klingon accent would be like. That makes sense, that, considering they were supposed to be, like, the Cold War metaphor. Yeah, and I don't know, the the language is probably, you know, initially based on something similar to a human mm. language, so they probably ba- went, you know, went with that, and that, that doesn't bother me. But I just watched her uh, torturing uh, Lorca, just kept thinking, now you will tell us location of Musan Squirrel. Yeah. No, and uh, she um she took a disruptor in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Lorca vaporized a whole bunch of the guards on their way out, and um, uh, she got just winged in the side of the face, and she looks like... Uh, Klingon Two-Face now. <laughs> it's going to start uh, doing uh, Klingon Two-based crimes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, based on them having two of everything, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Now she's got two faces. Yeah. Will that make her four-face? Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else? Uh, I suppose the main subject of the episode, Choose Your Pain game show. Uh-huh. It was a, to me, it just didn't seem like it was clearly working as it was supposed to be intended. I think that's I because mean, of Mud. Yeah. yeah. I think it would work on Starfleet people. I think he's just such a piece of shit that it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I mean just... be, before Mark turned up. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were three of them in there, weren't there? Yeah. And two of no. them looked like they'd barely been touched. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if it had been Lorca and Ash Tyler from the beginning, I think those two would have been, no, no, torture him. No, no, he's a captain. Torture me. You know, back and forth like that. And Harry Muds is like, fuck it. Torture him. I don't care. Just not me. Or Stuart. <laughs> yeah. Torture Stuart. <laughs> Stuart's like, j'accuse. <laughs> not again. At two, Harry. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, like I say, I think the system is based on noble humans, and it breaks mm-hmm. because <laughs> Harry's not one of them. No. We keep saying Harry, and I keep thinking we're talking about Kim. Uh, no. <laughs> Harcourt Fenton Mud, of course. <laughs> Got to say his full name. I'm like, what was Special Boy up to this week? Oh, right, no. I don't have to talk about him anymore. No, 
No, mm-hmm. I've almost forgotten his existence, which is mm-hmm. nice. And then the escape that they devised was very elaborate Doctor Who, where you could just skip out the whole setup and just do it. Uh-huh. There's no need for the setup. <laughs> Their yeah, their no. their escape plan was basically punch that Klingon. I'll punch this Klingon. Yeah, yeah. and actually, uh, Mud calls it out. He says, "Was it that easy to escape the whole time?" Well, when I had someone helping me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get my beautiful hands dirty, Captain. Mm-hmm. I do not like Ash Tyler, and we will get to that more. Like he went back to Discovery with Lorca, and we'll learn uh-huh. more about him later. Um, but, uh, the one thing I wanted to point out now, the main reason I don't like him so far, uh, one, I don't think he's as good an actor as, um, uh, Rain Wilson and, uh, Jason Isaacs, uh, the scenes that he has, he's clearly the weak link there. Uh, mm-hmm. but two, he almost never closes his mouth. <laughs> and once you, and once Al tells you that you will never not see it. I just, uh, he's just, like every now and then he'll do it. Like, cause yeah, you'll find a, you'll find a still shot here and there where his mouth is closed, but mostly it's open. <laughs> and it's really distracting and it does not it is not dignified it does not it just it makes him look stupid so uh but there's way more to talk about with him later also his well, name is lieutenant ash tyler well we'll roll into that with the spoiler section <laughs> yeah but his name is ash come on oh no just, his name is uh, lieutenant ash tyler like, there's is there anything more 90s than that ash only works on people who are in evil dead movies as a name yeah. Yeah, or or uh, Pokemon. Mm, even then, <laughs> wasn't his name Ash yeah. Ketchum? Yep. And every time I see him, I'm like, I wish that guy had a chainsaw for a hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think now it's time to do uh, in the past of the future. So, uh, Gav, what do you have? In the past of the future, eye drops have got a lot more pointy. You're talking about the thing where he he yeah the, the eye screwdriver. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Matt called it. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of things uh, poking in people's eyes in this episode. Uh-huh. If you got to think about eyes, this is not a good episode for you. If you hate eyes, though, I would recommend this episode. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, you're right. His 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 eye screwdriver, of course. Uh, Matt, what do you got? In the past of the future, uh, light continues to be the single best way to torture a Starfleet captain. Yep. Only now they don't need four of them; they only need one. <laughs> there's one light. Could you please turn it off? Yeah. That's too many. I would like to see none. Uh, and mine, in the past of the future, colorful metaphors are alive and well. Fuck yeah, they are. <laughs> so I think that's it. I think um, we can now go into the uh, spoiler section. So, mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Uh, Matt, you said you had something for this. Oh yeah, so this is the first appearance of Lieutenant Ash Tyler, who will yes. go on to be uh, a Klingon spy. Yeah, as um as they pointed out in the last episode, Vok um mm-hmm. uh, uh has to go see some Klingon witches, and they actually, they say you have to go visit the matriarchs or something. But Every time as... someone says Klingon witches, I fucking lose it. But when he when they say you're going to the homeworld to see the matriarchs, that's mm-hmm. that's the image, right? Like witches. Come, um, son of Cador. Yeah, but and they, when they... shall we three meet again to turn Vok into Lieutenant Ash Tyler, a so, Starfleet officer? That's not a witch. That's Skeletor. The Skeletor was the witch of skeletons. All right, he had a magic. I, I, I was picturing a, a witch, Matt. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've just heard his Skeletor voice a lot. Is all. <laughs> 
but um, no. So when she sent him away, she sent him away for this elaborate uh, surgery, which we'll find which out. Apparently, later. only took about ten minutes. And well, no, we skipped ahead seven months. They said. Really? That's how long he's been in. Uh, in you, you saw the episode. You, you no, remarked no, got, on it. He got. He was. His his thing was that he got captured at the Battle of the Binary Stars. Okay. It's been seven months since that. Right, but also they talked about how Discovery, since they got the spore drive working, has been doing all these missions for several weeks or months or what. It maybe hasn't been seven months, but it's been some time. All right. Like, we've jumped ahead. It's not the next week. It's it's weeks or months ahead. All right, I'll take it. So it took time to do that. I was thinking it was Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you, it was Tuesday. <laughs> um. But yeah, so so that's what's been going on. And then, of course, the false memories and all that and, mm-hmm. and all the implied rape stuff. It turns out they're together because they're together. So. Yeah, like that's really and like there's there's shots of Ash Tyler remembering his like him being raped, which was it turns out was just them having sex and him not processing it. Yeah, whatever. and I'm glad it's retroactively not rape, but we're meant to think it's rape right now. So. Well, basically, <laughs> they put him being raped as part of Lieutenant Ash Tyler's backstory, and I'm not right. thrilled by that either, honestly. No. When that's when that's one of your defining, you know, character things, that's that's always a weak thing. Yeah. As as a plan, and we'll get into this more as we go along, uh in theory, planting someone uh, a Klingon into Starfleet is a good idea, and there's definitely uh precedent for it in oh, yeah. Star Trek. Uh in execution, completely brainwashing your spy so that he doesn't know that he's a Klingon and hates all Klingons is probably like the best plan you've ever had. Yeah, I don't really understand the point of that. Um, also, the name Ash Tyler, clearly a Klingon thought of that as mm-hmm. the most human thing they could think of. I assume they asked Landry before she died. <laughs> She's the one with all the great names. She's the one who named Ripper. So. Uh-huh. And Black Alert, canonically, according Probably. to us. Yeah, according to us. Um, um, and I guess in that respect as well, it, it also mirrors sort of the prison scene with the uh, spider and the listening bug, and he's found out that he's using the spider listening bug to uh, oh, yeah. transmit. Yeah. So yeah, didn't even realize. That's that not even sense. half of it. Yeah. yeah. No, no one in that in that uh, in that cell is who they say they are. <laughs> no, Lorca's from the mirror universe, pretending to be a noble Starfleet captain. This guy's a Klingon pretending to be a, a noble Starfleet uh, officer, and Mud is just trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and and of course, uh, we we need to talk about. And we'll talk way more about this when it happens. Uh, but the introduction of uh, Stamets and uh, Doctor Culper as as a couple. Mm-hmm. Only lasts about five weeks because then they fall into that trope of, uh, hey, gay couple, let's kill yeah. one of them. Yeah, thanks, guys. That's 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 great. Yeah. First first gay couple in Star in Star Trek, and you killed the one of them off almost instantly. This is one of the like worst you know tropes that people recognize for like gay characters in media. Yeah, like oh, so that that's that the next step is that you're going to kill one of them, and then they do, and yeah. that's terrible. Uh, but we will. We have the right guest for that. The right guest specifically said, "I want to come on and talk about this." And mm-hmm. uh, that guest is Nate. And we calculated exactly where, like, the most, as, as he said, the most effective queer rage can can happen. So <clears throat> he will come on and and rage about that. So excellent. Yes. Uh, any other spoilery things? 
Um, I think that's it. All right. Uh, Gav, you got anything you want to plug? I mean, you, you're not doing your show anymore, but uh, it's still out there. It still exists. Mm-hmm. And if people want to hear it, you should definitely tell them how to do that. Uh, yes, I believe it does still exist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's called uh, Drunken Time Travel. It's We covered the first four doctors, first three mm-hmm. doctors, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, every episode from the classic series. Uh, yeah, and you covered just, like what, like a hundred mm. or more episodes. Like you, you it, covered quite a lot of it, including episodes that didn't mm. actually exist anymore. That like they had yeah, to a rebuild, lot of the horrible right? reconstructions. You yeah, really slogged through some, yes. you know, some tedium there. The, the yeah, some like, for you, but... when you when you say you only covered the first three doctors, that doesn't sound like much. But you really you really did quite a lot of the uh-huh. show before you guys finally uh, stopped doing it. So uh, it's out there. Is, is is it still at drunkentimetravel dot com? Yes. Uh, it should still be there, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but, yeah, was, God knows how many. What? What did I say was the number of episodes? How many episodes have you done? Oh, uh, seven hundred and forty-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Yeah, I think we clocked in up about four hundred and fifty-ish episodes that we've yeah. covered so far. You yeah, guys would do episodes based on like twelve-part series, yeah. mm-hmm. which baffled me like i was so fucking impressed by that yeah now we would talk about two at a time and you would talk about a long like because it was a single story but yeah mm-hmm. it unfolded over six hours or whatever which is nuts it's like 28 episodes of the prison planet or whatever the fuck yeah now mind you there was only about you know seven minutes of story in there but... <laughs> oh the rest is running oh, yeah. in caves yeah but uh the the, the difference Re- between hiding <laughs> The difference between that show and, and, and ours, the main difference is uh, that you guys would also uh, sample different beers as you did it, mm. which is which was delightful. So yes, and, we, and that reminds uh, me, when we, we recorded, we were usually about five or six bottles or more in when we started recording. <laughs> the, the idea was we were drunk with, uh, when we started. Pa is that we record in the morning, and that is not an option. Yeah, it could be an option. I mean, you know, if you were serious enough about it. I mean, I don't drink. I, I don't. I just don't drink. But uh, you know, if you wanted to, that's fine with me. Uh, but Gav, I, I do want to ask. Uh, just before you started your summary, you, you popped open a beer. Was it anything special, or just, just uh, whatever beer you happen to have? Oh yes, it was one that I bought special for the podcast, as oh. I always do. Uh huh. What'd you get? And was called Ghost Zapper. Oh, ah, nice. How was it? It's uh, it's very nice. It's uh, it's a mild sour beer mm-hmm. uh, by Wild Beer Company. Mm-hmm. Sort of hint of cherry to it. Uh. Yeah. See, I have no idea what questions to ask, so hopefully that's mm. that's useful information to beer people. I'm just like it, it's it's very good. nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it was great having you on. We'd we'd yes. love to have you back mm-hmm. sometime. And uh, that's all for this week. Next week, uh, what is it? Next week is another one of those weird titles, like Lethe or something, isn't it? Yes. Leth. I think it's Leth. Leth. So, uh, so look forward to that. Uh, Come back for that. Our website, as usual, postatomichorror.com. Uh, Tumblr, postatomichorror.tumblr.com. Uh, email address, postatomichorror at gmail. Uh, I am at Algar. He is at RobotMatt on, on Twitter. Uh, and I think that's all. Yep. Uh, yeah, see you, folks. <laughs> The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2018. Please don't sue us. 
We're just doing this for fun.